0: to ask questions we give us you know a presentation overview a, a, a and, um, and a book and but we can we can ask questions along the way to clarify or just whatever so it, this is a safe space to ask any questions you want it's on your heart it's okay to ask questions there are no dumb questions because we're someone else is thinking the same thing that you're about to ask it's okay um, and we are here to learn but, but more than learn here is to be touched here Okay, that's what it. If you're here for, here for a reason, to so listen for that, and
1: you come through. Thank you, much So, <clears throat> good afternoon to all of you. Thanks so much for your sacred presence. I really appreciate that. Honor your your decision of being here. It's a way of you showing your trust in me. Somehow, you're taking the risk of. Hearing what I have to share with you, so that's a big commitment for me. And I especially honored the invitation of Scarlett and John that I was able to meet this time. Thank you so much for holding sacred space, as we were mentioning. That's not so so normal, but so necessary to to be able to to find sacred spots in which we can uh, be fully vulnerable, basically be fully transparent, fully naked in the sacred sense of the term and we can share in the most immediate way that we can without filters, without masks but trying to get to the very root of actual mystical experience, actual human interaction actual religious embrace I mean, beyond tradition, beyond color of cloth in the most essential foundational uh, level we'll be talking the language of trust, love, affection, maybe in orange robe, white robe, I and mean, that's, for me, is a secondary detail, to be honest, <laughs> so, I, and, and I had the chance to be here with Scarlett and some of our friends two years ago, so that was a very rewarding experience for me, I always loved um, meeting with people from different traditions and interfaith dialogue and Few months ago I had the, the fortune of visiting someone that I really appreciate, which was Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. Franciscan monk. So I was very thrilled to visit him in mm-hmm. New Mexico. And anyhow, today I was writing to another Christian friend of mine because I'm doing a podcast and also inviting them to, to my to my show, apart from people from my own tradition. So, anyhow, today I would like to share with you a few thoughts in connection to <clears throat> to the series of meetings that uh, Scarlett is officially inaugurating today, so I'm doubly honored not only to be here but to be somehow by God's arrangement part of the kickstart of the whole project. So I hope to be uh, probably honoring all that she has in mind in heart for as a prospect of this ser- series of meetings. I'm, I'm sorry not to be living here to be part of each one of those meetings. I travel, <laughs> travel quite a lot, so I'm here for just six days. But I'm thrilled to be part of episode number one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hopefully I can contribute uh, with something uh, in the ongoing conversation. Because basically to talk about this topic this is an ongoing conversation that extends into eternity. And that will be one of the main topics today. We can never say enough about the absolute, about the eternal, about the divine. We can never reach a conclusive point where I already say all, I already understood it all, I already captured it all. That's the exact opposite of how we want to relate with, with the sacred, not in terms of capturing, understanding fully and controlling, basically. But we want to be carried and controlled by the, by the wave of divine love. So, today I would like to share a few thoughts in connection to a book that I recently published, is this one here, called Radical Personalism, mm-hmm. uh, which basically has to do with... Personalism has to do We are persons, we are individuals, and we want to relate with the divine as persons, as individuals. God is a person, we are a person, and we are invited to establish a loving connection. Of divine love very unique very specific in each one in each case and we are expected to reflect our personhood not only in our relationship with god but in how we relate with ourselves with each other with the world how we treat every one of these facets of creation hopefully also in a personal way in a very specific digital way and the word radical, don't be scared, because I know that the word radical sometimes is involved for something extreme. But radical means, basically, comes from the Latin radix, which means to the very root. So something to its core, to the very core, that's radical. So you can have radical grace, no? amazing grace, radical grace, <laughs> radical amazement, radical affection. And we want all those radicals. (laughs) So so radical personalism has to do with, okay, we are individuals, we are a person, but how much more of a person we can be? What's the limit of being a person? What's the highest reach of being an individual, of God being an individual, and of these two individuals relating with each other through love? What's the highest reach of that? So the book is kind of an exploration into... The limits of that. Of course, there are no limits to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just a humble attempt to to touch some points in an infinite line, so to say. Mm -hmm. So so the title of today's lecture, of the main topics I would like to talk, and I will mention a few explanations of that, are non-dual thinking. And a term that I like to use is this theological Mm cross-pollination. So if it's too complex, I will try to flesh it out in more simple ways. But I'll try to talk about these two things as go, being in the very core of what we sometimes know as interfaith dialogue, interreligious dialogue, and how we need to, to speak on the foundation of non-dual thinking and theological cross-pollination. So I will be sharing a few sections from my book, very brief. And also, as Scarlett mentioned, if you have any questions, you can raise your hand. You are totally invited to do so, totally welcome. totally welcomed. I'm just here sitting in this big fancy seat, but I'm, I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not the, I mean, I love the seat. I'm not <laughs> Sorry if I gave that impression. <laughs> and I'm just saying that I'm kind of the main character today, but actually this is, I'm not the main character. This is a teamwork. So we are all having a back and forth and in conversation. And, and even if you're only listening for me, that's also a very crucial contribution. No, if someone is listening from the right place, that speaking in itself, even if your mouth is not moving, if you are listening and your heart is moving, that's, that's enough movement, more than enough. No, So I, I'll take, I mean, your part is minimum 50%. I'll try to do my 50%, but I'll depend on your presence and sincerity, not, not to put too much responsibility on you. It's a teamwork. So... Uh, let me begin sharing a few a short quotes from my book where I speak a little bit about the importance of appreciating other traditions despite one's own. Of course, you have to learn to appreciate your own tradition as well <laughs> to begin with, just in case, but others' traditions as well. So, a brief quote from the book says like this Either we see the divine image in all created things and all mystical traditions or we don't see it at all. As it is said, God's address is everywhere. It is not limited to the the address book of our own tradition. To put it bluntly, our niche doesn't make us superior. The sweet absolute honors each unique journey and mystical tradition, since he is not threatened by differences. It is we who feel so. Just a little kickstart from the book in terms of the importance of uh, honoring diversity, honoring variety, understanding that we share a common underlying foundation, so to say. So as they say, I think in English, you have this saying like variety is the spice of life or something like this. Of course, if you put too much spice, you you cannot eat the food. (laughs) (laughs) But if there is no spice at all, it's, it's tasteless. So, you know, we have to, to, do, to know how we deal with this masala. You have the word masala in our tradition? Okay, in India, this mixture of spices. But too much masala is like you go to the hospital, but, <laughs> but just enough masala. So we want, diver- we want unity, but we want diversity also. You know? Diversity allows us to be unique individuals, unique expressions of ourselves, the unique religious expression. But also it's very healthy to have this unity, this underlying foundation where we see all these mystical traditions are united and converging in this common ground of divine love, and divine connection with the sacred. So, as I mentioned in my book, God's address is everywhere. Not only limited to my tradition, but God's presence, God's address is in every atom, literally speaking. If you play out the implications of God, He's present everyone. He's all-pervading. So if God is everywhere, how much we should honor that presence, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he is not threatened by differences. We are mostly the ones who are a little bit scared of dealing with what's unknown to us, but that's part of the invitation of the spiritual journey to mature into coexisting with diversity mm-hmm. and, and learning to ner- be nourished by that as well. And I hope, my hope to be here is also to be fully nourished by each of you. Mm-hmm. Don't come here only thinking, oh, we will be nourished by the Swami. I'm, I'm wanting, I want to take my part as well you know, at the end of the meeting and be nourished by the presence of you all. So, of course, in the beginning of any spiritual journey, and I've seen this in my own case and in many other practitioners, in the, in the kindergarten chapter of our spiritual practice, we may be a little bit more, we have a license to be more sectarian, so to say. You know, like when a baby thinking, okay, my dad is the best dad in the world. Okay, he can think that, but if eventually, if he meets other ch- children, with other dads, you cannot impose on them, my dad is the best dad in all the mm-hmm. world. No, because it's okay that you feel that. That's great. That's the idea. But don't try to convince me that your dad is the best and that mine, mine is at least second in the no? <laughs> silver medal. No, not gold medal. That's only for mine. Sometimes we project that type of super daddy projection, my God, my religion, my conception of the divine is the only foremost unique. And, and I believe that's the very best for you. I will celebrate that with you, as long as we don't try to jump onto one another <laughs> and, and convince or convert, you know, but actually trying to, to be open that the absolute is absolute. In our tradition, he's presented as a multifaceted jewel with unlimited faces no, and each one one will shine in its own unique way. So there are different approaches to the same divine reality. Mm -hmm. And all of them are correct. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking only mine is correct, this is a famous Sufi poem. You may, may know about that one, about the six blind men and the elephant. So in brief, I tell you for those who don't know, it's an elephant, there are six blind men. So each of them will go to a different part of the elephant. One will take the tail being blind, so they will conclude, this is a rope. No, and I will take the leg of the elephant and say, this is a pillar. No, and so on and so forth. They will take different no, the year, Oh, this is it. And each one will be completely convinced this is it. No, and all of them are wrong. <laughs> Amazing. So, similarly, you, you can project that to the realm of theology. No? Okay, this facet of God, this is the only one. And the more you you emphasize that the more you are wrong so it's not that that facet is not valid but the more you make of that something exclusive instead of inclusive the more it starts to speak less and less of the actual nature of the divine which is universal the word catholic for example means universal no technically speaking and so on and so forth so so I'm all for what's called sometimes perennialism. So perennialism basically mean, means you may belong to a particular tradition, but you have enough uh, respect and maturity to acknowledge the validity, the presence, the existence, the contribution of so many other traditions, so many other traditions. Mm-hmm. Again, in the beginning, we may be first grounded in our own tradition because if in our kindergarten chapter, we try to embrace too much diversity it may be too much, we may not be able to deal with too much So we first need to be grounded in our own tradition and on that foundation we can engage in conversation to the point even of being nourished by other traditions Mm -hmm. The potential is there, the prospect is there Mm -hmm. But with this again, I'm not proposing you to, to a newcomer who is practicing any tradition after a week introduce him full into the realm of multi-traditional, appreciate all of them in the same way that may be. It's like, like sometimes it's say, like if you give a set of absolutes to, to, to a newcomer, it's like giving a gun to a five-year-old boy. No, like if you give too much to someone who doesn't have the, the capacity to possess all that, that may end up being even dangerous in terms of misrepresenting the tradition in a very fanatical way fundamentalism, and so on and so forth. And we know the worst things in the history of humanity have been done in the name of God. <laughs> There's no need to go into the details of that, but and that's a result of giving a set of absolutes to someone who doesn't know, have the capacity to, to properly digest and ruminate on those and end up becoming a public threat in the name of God. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... In our particular tradition, uh, which is called Gaudiya Vaishnavism, is one specific a monotheistic devotional expression uh, of Hinduism, if you want to put it like that. We have this very universal term that is called Sanatan Dharma. I won't torture you too much with Sanskrit terms. You already have too much with my name. That's- <laughs> just a few more. A few more. Just a few more only. Sanatana Dharma is a very beautiful term that, that you will find in cross, all along India, across India, which is, basically means Sanatana Dharma. Sanatana means eternal. And Dharma means that which sustains something. For example, a certain irreducible quality in an object that without it, the object is no longer the object. For example, the Dharma fire is to burn. You cannot separate burning propensity from fire. If I tell you I have a fire that doesn't burn, you say, that's not fire. <laughs> that's something else, but not fire. You cannot separate fire from burning capacity. You follow my point? So, dharma means that intrinsic quality of an object that makes an object, or not only an object. We have our dharma, which is again the dharma or the intrinsic nature of the soul is to relate with God in service, eternally, sanatana dharma. Sanatana means eternal. So the eternal function of each of us is to render this loving service and connection to the divine. It's like irreducible. You cannot take that away. If you take that away, we are no longer who we are. So this term is used in our tradition to refer not only to our tradition, but to acknowledge how in every single heart there is this dharma, there is this unique intrinsic function in connection to the divine there is another beautiful saying in Sanskrit that comes to mind which is bakam. so that means there is only one family if, if we think in terms of different families we are, we start to be to be sectarian and divisive there's only one family one universal family all of us are children of god To put it in another words, we we share a common universal father. Whether we call it with one name, whether we call it with another name. Again, some people call it with one name. And each of us, I imagine, you have your official name. I can see it, Annie, and so on. But I'm sure your daughter, your husband, your grandchild will call it with another name. But still, you are the same person. (laughs) and each name will reflect a certain type of relationship. So, in the same way, different names of the divine basically speak about different types of relationship because we can relate to the absolute and to the infinite in infinite ways. Again, we should be careful not to be projecting limits into the unlimited. <laughs> no, only God can be named like this, only God can be related in this way. We are limiting the unlimited. I mean, we are not limited. We are the limited ones. I'm projecting that onto the unlimited. The unlimited remains unlimited. <laughs> but it's unfortunate when we, without noticing, we end up creating this limited, limited idea of the unlimited. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important point to acknowledge. We all belong to one family. Mm-hmm. We may dress different, speak different, even express our religious sentiment differently. But again, different is not a bad word. <laughs> Difference, diversity, is not necessarily a threat. Again, it has the potential to be an ornament. It has the potential to give nuance and taste. So, uh, at least in my conviction, in my perspective, we are not here not only we are not here only to allow other people to practice their faith, <laughs> not but also to learn from them, to nourish from them. Not only okay, it's okay that. There is religious diversity, but it's even more okay if I can develop the capacity to incorporate many of their inspirations into my own journey. There is possible for me. It's possible. It's not that I'm betraying my own journey if I don't meet a mystical Christian or a Jew or whomever and I'm learning this from them. I'll take that. That's cultural appropriation. No, no, that's (laughs) that's a very natural inspiration. Like, for example, when I heard that the Native Americans, they don't have, at least certain tribes, I don't know if all of them, they don't have a word for, in their native language, they don't have a word for art. Why? Because for them, everything is art. Mm. So they don't want to limit everything, the idea of art, to one word. I was like, wow, I liked it. I will. <laughs> I will take it. And I don't think I'm betraying my own past, sorry, by what, what are inspired. that? Sorry. One
2: of the things that Western culture confuses us, well, to me, anyway, is when we use the word karma, it's almost like karma is being delivered to you. Word karma? Karma. Huh. And are you, are you saying that as an individual, as a person, personality as a person, that you can affect your own karma. That is that is is karma is something that evolves in you,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or is it is it given to you? Like, is it given to you, or or do you mm. form your own karma? Mm. We use that as a, almost like you got what you deserved mm. in our culture. We'll you know, mm. we got this karma, mm. not knowing really what we mean when we say it. Mm. So I'm just wondering, whether when we use the word karma, mm. it's what is. What exactly is that? Hmm. We learn yeah. our, our own Dharma. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. You came two years ago, Craig, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember. Thanks for coming again. Thank you. <laughs> you survived my first lecture. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> You're to your witness. <laughs> So, the, uh, your question, to be honest, I will reply to that, but to properly honor your question, that deserves like a three day seminar or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, with this, I'm Praising your question because it's a very no 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 don't say i'm sorry i'm praising your question because it's it requires so much of fleshing out it's a very deep concept karma because it's a word that sometimes we can translate quickly as something but like any word you can you cannot translate any word quickly as anything (laughs) everywhere has so many layers and implications and sanskrit terms are very packed with meaning and, and layers of purpose so the word, but I will say something, of course, the word karma, which is not the same word as dharma. I mean, I mentioned dharma a few minutes ago. Remember when I mentioned this intrinsic quality? That's dharma. That's not karma. Harm. No, no, it's dharma. It's D, no problem. It's D-H. D-H, arma, dharma. And karma is with K. See, I, I don't have here to write them. No, Rasa can write them, no problem. Here we have our assistant here. So we can write the two words, dharma. And karma, yeah, because it's with the H in Sanskrit, it's a dharma, dharma. So it's right here, it sounds like karma. There's dharma, and that's karma. Yeah. But for some reason, the question came, so that that's totally welcome. So karma mostly, again, it has many meanings. I will go to the main idea. Karma has means activity or action, and implies the idea or the notion that whatever action we perform will bring forth a particular reaction. Not reaction as chastisement or anything, just a corresponding result according to what we do. In the Bible also you have different lines according how do you say in English? Like, you will what you saw, you will how English? Yeah. Okay. The same Sorry. principle. No, same principle. No, like there is a, a natural result to how you act. If you act lovingly, you will receive that type of fruit, so to say. If you add in another way, we'll receive the other thing. Not not as a cruel chastisement, but because for us, karma is not like a, a law which has chastisement as its spirit, but it's educational. No? So sometimes we may have to chastise someone, but that can be an expression of love, also. Not it's not that every chastisement is like totally wrong. So karma means again, action and reaction. And whenever we receive not a very nice reaction, well probably it's because we were not so nice ourselves when we act. <laughs> but that suffering that may come, again, it's not God chastising us in a cruel way, but just uh, being educated so we can become properly responsible. It's more about, It has more to do with responsibility, developing a sense of responsibility. A word that I like to divide as: response, ability. Mm-hmm. No? That's basically responsibility. Your ability to respond to different situations and become become proficient in how to properly respond to each life situation. So thanks for the question. <laughs> uh, so re- in relation to what I was mentioning, I would like, if you give me one second, I would like to share another quote from one of my teachers called Bhaktivinot Thakur, in connection to the importance of not only Acknowledging that there are other traditions and they are valid, but also about the importance of appreciating how each person in their own faith express their love, their devotion, and be wondered by that and, and, and be like, nourished by that. So, Bhakti Vinod Thakram, he says like this, If one goes to someone else's place of worship, one should think, These people are worshiping my Lord, but in a different way. Because of my different training, I cannot quite comprehend this system of worship. However, through through this experience, I can deepen my appreciation even for my own system of worship. The Lord is only one, not two. I offer respect to the form I see here and pray to the Lord in this new form, that he increases my love for the Lord, my love for the Lord in his accustomed form. Those who do not follow this procedure but instead, instead criticize other systems of worship and show hatred, violence, and envy he will use some strong words are worthless and foolish. The more they indulge in useless quarrelling, the more they betray the very goal of their religion.) <laughs> So, again, we see someone, he's someone from my tradition, but we start to realize how much I should speak in terms of my tradition. Because I see most of you, I'm reading, and you're like,
3: yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) amen.
1: So how much do you feel uh, that could have been spoken by a pastor in your church or someone else in other traditions? So that's my point. There is a point where we can hear this type of people and you may not know from which tradition they are coming <laughs> because they are sharing from such a substantial place. So, so the above is kind of the non-dual foundation that I'm I'm referring to in today's lecture. No, every mystical tradition shares this non-dual foundation. God is one, not two. The same absolute expresses Himself or herself. We can talk even in, in terms of divine feminine. Why not? <laughs> uh, So reality for us is non-dual by nature. It's not that there's one God here, another God there, but actually there's one Supreme Lord and everything is connected to that common source. Nothing is isolated from the divine. So every single even atom and object has its intrinsic connection with the common source. And that's a very incredible, I mean, we could just stop the lecture here and just start to meditate about that. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Even modern science have proved that everything is completely interconnected. Quantum physics showed that very clearly. So it's not that religious people are saying that stuff mm-hmm. only. <laughs> Even in the realms of secular science, they will conclude everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's mind blowing. So, Scarlett so, wants to say something. So yeah.
0: one, I, it just popped into my head was that since every atom, everything like that. So if we had this dharma, this Mm -hmm. You know, so does
1: everything have a dharma or is it only for humans? Mm. Okay, great question. Mm -hmm. That's a great question because, yeah, till now we are talking about human beings, among human beings. Uh, I will share, of course, the perspective from my tradition, which is in our tradition, the spirit, the soul, consciousness is not only limited to human body, but is present in other forms animal forms plant plant life even mineral life so consciousness is pervading everything so so in that sense we will extend this idea of dharma as not only something intrinsic and limited to humanity that said uh, it's emphasized that in human life consciousness flourishes so to say to the point of becoming aware of itself In other words, if, of course, here will come another idea, which may be more specific of my tradition, which is the idea of reincarnation of different lifetimes. So the point is that we will see that in in plant life or in animal life, there is life. We call it plant life. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there is life. There is consciousness. And... But the consciousness of an of an animal, for you won't see generally an animal having an existential crisis. No? you, you will not find your cat like asking like to be or not to be. <laughs> With all respect and affection for your cat, of course. Now please don't feel offended toward your. I don't want to offend anyone's pet here. So, but but the, the consciousness in those species, my point is, are not ri- rising to the level. Of self-inquiry, like an, an animal basically acts merely by instinct. It's not aware of its own existence. Generally, it's not that. It's, it's, that that's not. It, there's consciousness there, but according now again, I'm sure in my tradition's perspective, in human life, is when consciousness has the capacity to ask things like, "Who am I? You know, What's the purpose of life? Is there God? And look for God." human life is the particular vehicle in which this, this type of inquiry, and with this I'm not downplaying other species, I'm just pointing at, at the specific way in which consciousness is expressing itself in different forms. Because we worship all forms of life. It's not that, okay, so therefore only humans matter, so we can like, mistreat all the other kingdoms and we, it doesn't care. No, no, we are not saying that. I mean, if you know, you know our vows and practices and we are pretty much like, respectful towards other forms of life but in human life it's it's when it is said that consciousness rises to the point of inquiring about itself if you are properly human again that's another point because having a human body doesn't mean you are human you have the word you have the word inhuman many times and generally when you say that was inhuman you won't point to an animal (laughs) now you won't say that dog behaved in a very inhuman way you will put to (laughs) a human to say that so the point is how how much human we are having the vehicle doesn't mean you are taking proper advantage of the vehicle so being human when I say be more human actually what what you understand be more sensitive, compassionate loving in, in this connection so we can be pretty the opposite of that in human form yes yeah
4: Um, listening to you a couple things just to pick up on what Scarlett said Um, there's a piece by Carl Sagan called the blue dot and how the earth was just a speck if that in the universe Mm -hmm. so how does this apply to a more universal you know when people talk about the divine they're usually talking about like you said humans they're talking about on earth but they're not necessarily looking at the whole creation, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. Mm-hmm. So how does this fit with that? Because you're talking about consciousness, right? And are we separating people on Earth from the rest of the universe, from the rest of the
1: existence? Hmm. Hopefully not. No, hopefully I didn't convey that idea because no, you didn't no, no I just that. want to make sure because I don't want to misrepresent our own stance toward you. But no, in our, in our particular tradition, for us, the, 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 man, the idea is like. The cosmovision is like all in life is sacred. Like, like I quote in my book. Um, what's her name? I forgot the name of the author. Sorry, one second. <laughs> <laughs> her name is Simon, Simon Whale? Oh,
3: Simon
1: Simon, no, Wendell Burry in this case.
3: Oh, Wendell
1: yeah, ben. I quote her also in another part. Of the book. <laughs> so Wendell Burry says, there are, there are only sacred things or desecrated things but there are no profane things mm-hmm. no? there are only fake, sacred things or sacred things that are desecrated but still they are sacred no? so everything is sacred for us and that's not limited to one form of life to this particular universe but to everything because whatever exists <laughs> again is tied to the divine as its source so in that sense everything is interconnected in a very sacred way, we have this a term in Sanskrit. One more, I promise, I won't do. I won't invoke many more. I'm, you can write it just in case. Which is Sambanda. Sambanda, which is a very Sanskrit is very very nice term. So Sambanda. Let's see if Namras is writing it correctly. Let's <laughs> see. Sambanda. Very good. <laughs> also putting him to test a, bit, a few minutes. <laughs> So Sambanda, the word sambandha, divides in this to sambandha. So sam means everything, everything. And Banda means like tied or connected. So sambandha refers to that type of vision, I, knowledge, that teaches us how everything is connected. There's nothing that is separate from everything else or from a common source. In that sense, everything is sacred. We have a great potential to desecrate things, to not see the sacred, but mm-hmm. our own lack of vision. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean things stop to be sacred. <laughs> we are just missing out the sacredness of everything. So the whole spiritual practice for us, sorry, creation one second. Yep, the sorry. whole spiritual practice for us is about developing the eye, developing the vision, awakening to the fact that all sacredness is already there. Mm-hmm. You know? We were just missing the party, so to say. <laughs> it's not that I have to impose some artificial notion on reality, but I have to tune in for what's already going on. And for that, of course, that may take, in our terms, lifetimes, <laughs> maybe your terms, decades or a whole life, to really awaken to a divine vision, to a divine appreciation, to see it, because we can say everything is sacred. Another thing is to really see that and to act upon that vision. So that's for us a very charming prospect to say the least, you know, to, to achieve that way of relating to everything and perceiving the presence of the divine. In our tradition, we say even God is present in every atom.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So every atom is a, is an embassy of the divine. Imagine. Of course, we may not see it that, like that yet. We still see a table, cushion, wall, gong. <laughs> we don't see God's presence oozing from each mm-hmm. atom. But the more you awaken to the ultimate reality, the more that reality will become apparent. And, and probably you, will, you may act in ways that may see, be seen by normal society as a little dysfunctional. What's going on with that guy? Well, he's seeing God in every atom, so what yeah. to do? <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine what must that mean, no? that, that. to really walk and God is in every atom, breathing present there sorry craig you had
2: Uh, your tradition would you um would you see evil as desecrated good Mm -hmm. Mm. is it is it in your vocabulary in your tradition evil or would you describe desecrating good Mm -hmm.
1: as evil i see in our particular vocabulary the word evil is not as present as it is in in the christian vocabulary Mm -hmm. uh it's not that it's totally absent either, but I will say that we, we mostly establish the roots uh, of all evil, even if you will, if you will, to a concept that we call abidya. No need to write that one, torture, <laughs> no one go in that etymology the and all that. But for us, abidya means lack of education or lack of proper vision. So because of lack of vision, we do all the evil that we see in the world because of lack of education about what reality is about, who we are, and how to conduct ourselves. So we we will use mostly this term of abidya, which is sometimes translated like ignorance. Abidya means knowledge. And in Sanskrit, when you put an A before, abidya means the opposite of that. So abidya means the opposite of knowledge, which will be not so much ignorance, but lack of knowledge, lack of proper awareness and education. And that brings forth all what we call problems in this world. Oh, we have this problem, that problem, and we will say, no, all those are not problems, no? Like, I don't know, if you say violence and wars and, and crisis mm-hmm. of all sorts, I will say that those are not problems. Those are symptoms of the, uh, the real problem, of the root problem, which is we have forgotten who we are, we have forgotten which is our connection with God, and therefore we behave in such a disastrous way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when we become aware of who we are and so on, automatically all those things disappear because you are rooting, you are watering the root of the tree, so to say. No. So so my point is even if we are ignorant and we are behaving in a very so to say an unenlightened way, <laughs> it's still the sacredness of everything remains there. It's still the sacredness of every pore of creation. <laughs> Remains as it is sacred. It's, it's just us who are missing the, again, the party, who are missing the sacredness of everything by behaving in such a desecrating way, so to say. Mm. Yeah. So, in relation to what I quoted a few minutes ago, in relation to the importance of being nourished by other traditions, like what to attack, or say if you go to a mosque, if you go to a temple, to a church. I remember when I visited on you know, my way to India, I visited with a friend a uh, Turkey, and and we were just one day in Turkey, and and we said well, let's visit some mosques here. Of course, I, I was not aware that it was not the ideal thing to go with this clothes in Turkey <laughs> and all that. I was very naive, just first time. I went just with all my robes, and a few people was looking at me a little bit. <laughs> not aligned with what we are talking today. Let's put it (laughs) like that. (laughs) My life was at risk, but it's okay. I went to the mosque. (laughs) I went to the mosque and it was beautiful. It had no problem, just a few glances, but it's okay. And for me, it was beautiful. And I recall this quote, like, wow, now they're worshiping my Krishna. So to say, Krishna is the name of God. We refer to him, which means the all-attractive. So it was like, oh, they're worshiping my Krishna in this unique way. Uh, But I was detecting, they're worshiping Krishna also. They call it Allah, but it's it's the same person. Uh, And I was inspired, we were inspired, wow, the beautiful way they are prostrating and offering certain prayers was really like, lots of fervor was there. So I was inspired to somehow increase the passion in my own prayer by witnessing that. So my point is, if other traditions, if I can rediscover my own tradition, by, by the help of other traditions, how much those are other traditions. You follow? Yes. So mm-hmm. I think that's very, very beautiful. I mean, other traditions can help me rediscover my own tradition. Mm-hmm. But when, you, when that happens, you start to, the, the difference on, on some level start to blur, other tradition, my tradition, yeah. for at the same time here, I'm not trying to make a, an absolute merging And everything in Christianity, in Islam, everything is absolute. I'm not saying that. And it's okay that there is differences. There Again, there is flavor and diversity. John, yeah. I
5: have a quick story about Turkey also. Okay. I was out there. and um, If you haven't been there, they have a call to worship during Ramadan that do Mm. this a lot. And I don't know the rules on it, but they have loud speakers on all the mosques that broadcast their, their goal is to broadcast throughout the entire world I believe. But when you're in a city and during Ramadan, they start at four in the morning with these very loud speakers with the call to worship, which might be irritating if you're sleeping in a hotel right next to the mosque. So when we were out there, the group I was with at first, was a, a little irritated by this call to worship, but then we started talking about it. We were a Christian group, and we said, well, they're calling us to worship, so I think they might be upset to know that when they were doing call to worship, we were worshiping our version of God. Um, well, you were but, sleeping. But, uh, <laughs> not, not once they started. Well, <laughs> yeah, 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 right, yeah, right. But There was, it was no chance. It was yeah. Exactly what you just said that we said, well, you know, despite whether they might not like us worshiping our <laughs> God because mm. they told us to, it was a whole different perspective on it instead of being bothered by the Holy mm. mm. Worship. Like, oh, yeah, we're being reminded that we should be worshiping. Our version of balance.
1: Mm-hmm. Like yeah, thank you for sharing. And, and your story took me to my own version of the story, which is in, in our place in Indian Vrindavan. When you were saying 4 a.m. loudspeakers, I went like shoo, to Vrindavan in India because it's there. You, if you go, that's a very holy city for us in India. And 4 a.m., generally start the first article of the first worship ceremony there and loudspeakers will be there in all cities so there is no way of, of remaining asleep <laughs> while that and that's the idea you know? the idea is okay <laughs> let's wake up early in the morning before the sun rises and welcome the, everything worshiping you know? and again it may be irritating on, on a first impression but eventually you as you mentioned very nicely you've got this insight like wow now this is a very nice reminder there's there's this is a very nice invitation okay, let's engage in worship, each one in our own way, but let's be reminded that, you know, for us in particular, that sacred moment spot in the day, like before the sun comes, that's one of the main spots in the day for prayer and meditation, because it's like the moment before the world awakens, so to say. There's a quietness and a depth to it, so... But yeah, it can be a little bit irritating when loudspeakers yeah. are there at 4 a.m. and you are not accustomed to wake up at that time. But I appreciate that you were able to go to pierce that layer yeah. and realize, thank you for the reminder. <laughs> you know? So in this way, we can learn so many things. You know, yeah. I, I remember when I first heard about <clears throat> Lectio Divina. You know, for me, it was, that was like, wow, that's great. You know, we don't have that one in our, in our tradition. I mean, we have study of scripture and introspection but actually being Divina, this christian system of contemplating and reading one section and you may know what i'm talking about i felt okay i will i will import this one no i I will make that part of my own daily practice and and again i'm not going against the, the substance of my tradition by approaching my sacred scripture from that spirit through that particular like structure so to say, now, if I rem- or I remember someone like Father Thomas Keating with Centering Prayer, maybe some of you may have heard about that. That's a very beautiful practice also, no? just sit in silence and try to allow consent to God's presence and action within you, as he will put it, and try to open, to be vulnerable, to be naked <laughs> to his presence, to his action, and of course, become aware of all the obstacles that you yourself put on the way of that and the mind starts to go shopping to so many places. <laughs> so that, that's a little bit of humiliating, so to say, but that's part of the awareness process that one needs to go to, to transcend the false ego and so on and so forth. So those are practices that, again, are not technically part of my, my tradition, but they can be very naturally imported and, and at. Add value to what I'm I'm experiencing. So again the question is if other traditions are helping me to rediscover my tradition, how much I can talk about them as other traditions? How much I can put like a like a hard line dividing. There may be differences, but there are so much in common. So much in common. No? So on that same
4: idea, how do we
5: differentiate between us and God? what is the defining factor there is there something to do with this material realm like does your does your idea of, of divinity incorporate materialization in some way like mm-hmm. is that what makes a special spark for humanity or this i keep thinking of this word remembrance like mm-hmm. you have the idea of enlightenment being a master from the brain mm-hmm. or accessing that dharma mm-hmm. reminding each other mm-hmm. is And my mind just keeps going to this material aspect. So, how in your world philosophy, how is that incorporated and the difference between humanity and God? That separation, if it does exist, we perceive it, but does it actually? Yeah,
1: yeah. okay, you're making very good questions, and those are very dangerous because again I you say you talk a lot but I think I'm defeating you now. <laughs> when he was begging forgiveness so I talked a lot I talked I was like oh my god when when I start talking they will they will they will run away from this <laughs> no so <laughs> my point is you these questions invokes so much to say and I appreciate that and I'm finding difficulty trying to contain myself and trying to (laughs) finish the official topic and and, and reply to those but I'll try my best and if not we have eternity to continue talking (laughs) about this for sure (laughs) but there is a very nice point in connection with what you mentioned regarding God, us, humanity Um, so for us the how to say, the the aspect, I don't want to call aspect, but the face of the absolute that we worship, so to say we call Krishna, uh, is described in in our sacred texts as as human, fully human and fully divine. Probably you may hear similar statements in connection to to Jesus. in, in, In different ways, but the point is there also. So for us, humanity is not something to say, to be transcended in the sense of at some point you stop being human and you become spiritual. For us, that doesn't work like that. For us, it's you are human. I mean, you have human body, as I mentioned before, become human, behave as such, and become fully divine in the context of being fully human. Humanity and spirituality are to like merge into one another, integrate one another. So, in our tradition, our ultimate goal, call it heaven, we may call it spiritual world, whatever, there, Krishna appears in the form which is fully human, fully divine. And we are, if we want to accompany him for eternity, so to say, we are to become that same quality, basically. And again, we are already spiritual. It's not that we are not spiritual, but we are not aware of that. Basically, we are distracted from that fact. And that's why we do not behave in very spiritual nor human ways. So in another sense, again, we are already spiritual. We already have the human form. But we need to actualize the implications of that. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be spiritual? And put that in practice. And when that's put in practice fully, for us, you reach, you reach the ultimate goal of life, which presents a very integrated version of humanity and and divinity, and I say that even with self-criticism toward my, my tradition, because as you can imagine, in every tradition there is people who will misread the essence of their own tradition, <laughs> misrepresent it, and, and that happens in my tradition. It's not that mine is the exception to the rule, and therefore I'm better than any. No, no, those things happen everywhere. Like when I was with Richard Rohr in New Mexico, and we were sharing about the shortcomings of our particular traditions, and. I will share someone. He goes, like, oh, we have our own version of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he will share his. Like, oh, we also have that. One. I, was like, I was like, okay, we are dealing with the same stuff here from different perspectives, different names. So one of those are this idea of emphasizing spirit, being spiritual, being transcendental, but as, an, but as an evasive device towards our human condition now. So I become super transcendental so I don't have to deal with my emotions, with my psychology, with my unresolved trauma. Um, and I believe myself to be very high, very spiritual, but actually I'm pretty dysfunctional. <laughs> but I'm using the transcendental, the most sacred thing. Even unconsciously, I'm not saying ill motive, but unconsciously I resort to spirituality as an escape from my humanity. And I, and I conceive spirituality as something divorced from humanity which is, that's not how it is. But sometimes that happens. And of course, it's messy. You know? it's messy. There's messiness in, well, I have to deal with my emotions, with my psychology, with my woundedness, with my brokenness. Oh my gosh. Now, let me be just spiritual and God will take care of all the other stuff. You know? He's very merciful and powerful. And we may end up glorifying God's mercy so we don't have to do our homework, basically. You know? And we will do that and He will say, you have to do your part also. Right? I will do mine, but you have to do yours. Right? Mm-hmm. No? No? Help yourself, I will help you, basically. No? So in that sense, that's an important point that I always try to emphasize. You know, in the name of trans- transcendence, doesn't mean for us, at least, rejection. Because sometimes we think, I have to transcend this. And we may think, I have to reject that. But for us, transcendence means integration. That's the challenge. How to integrate everything into a higher equation, into a higher synthesis. It's not that matter is profane, is bad, is against us. In our tradition, this is one of the shaktis or one of the energies of God. As we are one of the energies of God, a different type of energy. So everything is an energy of God in our tradition. So we, we cannot reject anything. As I mentioned before, God is inhabiting every atom. So how can matter be profane? if God is in every atom. <laughs> so, so that's basically our approach, quite user-friendly, hopefully, to where we are here. For us, it's not so much about going somewhere else, basically. Like, we have to leave this world as soon as possible. I mean, for us, spirituality is not an evacuation plan for, to the afterlife or something like that. Because sometimes we may conceive of spirituality like that. I have to get to leave this place as soon as I can. No? And you practice your spirituality with that type of right. indifference and rejection. And, and God is over there in the clouds, and I am thrown over here. and You create that, this dichotomy instead of finding God in the immediate. Mm-hmm. No? Because he's transcendent, but he's immanent as well. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, as, I, as you can see, I can get lost and found in, in all this stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat>
4: you can open the doors. You can open the doors. Um, so you could just give a little bit in terms of the beginnings of your traditions and if at all possible, cause I'm, I'm hearing people, um, and I see a lot of culture that's been incorporated in the traditions or how people's religion, a lot of it has to do with culture. That's what I'm hearing. And also a lot has to do with, um, I guess we live in a capitalist situation, right? And so that tends to have a bearing on how people see the world, right? So, and, and the other part is with regard to the influence, because I'm, I'm sure there was, I'm not sure, well, kind of know, that, you know, other cultures coming into India and what impact they may have had in terms of their traditions. Mm-hmm. So, we have a little history, we yeah, have history of how it came about in terms of your traditions and the role that culture plays in terms of how people see the world, particularly with regard to your, your traditions. Mm. And if there's
1: any outside influence on your traditions mm. from other cultures. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for the question. <clears throat> Beautiful. Another seminar, we need separate seminar. I know. <laughs> but it's great. We are creating lots of reasons for meeting with one another for the next three decades, basically. <laughs> so that's perfect. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. Sorry, can I ask someone a glass of, a little bit of water? Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so of course culture is, is there, cultural influences are present in every tradition I wouldn't say that there is a tradition that is totally like unaffected by the, by the environment and so on and it's important I will say to make some to be able to establish some differentiation between what is inf- cultural influences and eternal principles so to mm-hmm. say because sometimes one can be taken as the other and you can absolutize something relative and that takes you to relativize something absolute <laughs> and it ends up being a problem that happened in all traditions you know? like for example I w- I'm wearing this particular cloth mm-hmm. in, in my tradition but there was one point in our tradition that this particular color let's say more specifically was not used that was kind of established by one of our teachers. So that has some historical beginning. But I've seen people like absolutizing this to the point of, and I've gone through that, thank you. Mm-hmm. I remember once being in India <laughs> with this color and someone came and, and took to say, do you need some more, like, powder to dye your clothes to their no. actual, legal, real, <laughs> saffron? <laughs> the, the, the bona fide shade of saffron. And I was like, I mean, it's a color. No? <laughs> <laughs> it's saffron. <laughs> no, it's not that by having two shades more dark of this, I'm closer to God, no? So that's my point. Yeah, it was established at some point in history. I'm using that. At some point in history, it may be replaced. Um, it comes and goes. It's okay. I, I, I'm using it myself, but I'm not taking that too seriously. You follow my point? It's not that. Mm-hmm. If I have to wear a cloth of another color, it's not that the the world is ending for me or anything like that. But at the same time, there are other principles who, which are eternal, principles like again God, who we are in connection to Him and our loving connection to Him. For us, though, things never change. No, for us, it's not like that's a cultural thing. God is a cultural uh, whatever, creation. At one point, it was not there. Of course, there's people who will present that idea, and each one will have their own way of explaining and presenting that. Of course, in our tradition, that's not the fact. We do not think that God became a byproduct of cultural unfolding, so to say. Before that, he didn't exist. But eventually he started to exist. I mean, God doesn't start to exist. Now if he starts to exist, that's not God by definition. So, so we try to separate this idea, Sanatana dharma. Sanat and dharma is the eternal function of the soul. That's not a cultural thing. That's an intrinsic reality of every living being. So in, in that sense, we will say that our tradition, in our particular perspective, is eternal although it may manifest in certain way in time (laughs) in human timeline these principles of divinity of god they exist eternally how they manifest on earth in which moment in which time that's a separate thing but it's not that they start to exist at that point that they didn't accept i don't know if you're christians it doesn't mean that 2000 years before ago Christ didn't exist, if God didn't exist, and it started after a certain period of time. Before that, before that what? It's, <laughs> it exists eternally by definition. So, so yeah, the, the eternal reality will become manifest on earth in our tradition in the form of different enlightened teachers or prophets, or in our tradition we also have the principle of avatar, which means divine descent, in our tradition, we can conceive the possibility of God Himself coming into the world personally, mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, and of course, in Christianity, Jesus will be seen as a face of God. If you are a Trinitarian Christian, Christ will be one of the three faces of God. And he's entering to the flesh in this world and so on and so forth. So this is a way of avatar, if you will, of divine descent. Mm-hmm so that takes but again god comes to the world and he may come i don't know in a particular time circumstance culture society and he will speak in the language of the times as well
4: Why is
1: it he? i can say she not i have no, no problem no 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 I, it's just as i clarified before remember that i say i can speak of god as male or female So, oh, no gender at all. all, If you, I mean, when when I say he or she's not the he or she we are accustomed to perceive, so I don't want specifically in our tradition, I I mentioned Krishna before, (laughs) but our worship, our worshipable deity is not only Krishna, but it's Radha Krishna, and Radha is like the female divine, so to say. So, we have the female divine and the male side of the absolute, but again, male and female, not as we. Just think about that. So I know it can be tricky when I, I resort to our words and I say he, why not she? I can say she, but if I say she, someone might say, why not he? <laughs> so I, thank you for the question, but it, it, it allows me to clarify that I may use one word or another interchangeably, but it's not- I didn't think
4: you were using it separately. I knew enough about mm-hmm. the conditions that mm-hmm. it was just switching words, but in other cultures and other, when they say he,
1: they mean he. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get the point. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for <laughs> point. Allow me to further clarify that idea. So I, made, I was making that point that when God comes to the world, he also adjusts to the particular situation he's coming into, So the particular times of the world. I mean, it's, Jesus came to give an example and like he addresses <clears throat> the society in a particular language with a particular psychology. I'm sure if he will come now, so to say, the language will be different. So my point is that the the eternal, absolute truth enters into the world, but will also adjust to the relativity of that particular circumstance without compromising the the essential principles of of that truth. And that's, I think, the challenge for all of us, because we want to pursue a spiritual path, but we're also living in a particular society, country, time, side gaze, and affected by that, like it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the, the, of course, the, ch- the daily challenge for all of us is, how do I pursue my my ideals without compromising them, um, um, but also without becoming socially dysfunctional, that I, I'm entering to a cave, so I don't interact with anyone, uh, so I keep my spiritual principles intact. <laughs> So, so I know it's not easy and it's not just, okay, this is a magical formula for you to deal with that. No, it's a complex situation and it's day after day and navigating that. So I'm trying, I'm a monk, I'm a swami, but also I'm trying to be open enough to use a computer and camera and try to put a microphone and accept technology in the context of, okay, this will help me to extend the message to other people. But being very careful not to become overtly attached to that, because that can happen also. So that requires daily vigilance, I will say, no? Mm-hmm. daily awareness. And okay, I'm, I'm how much I'm okay, I'm opening to this, but I, I don't want to use this as an excuse to indulge or overindulge in things that I realize start to distract me, start to, mm-hmm. because that can happen. So I know it's not easy. I, I never use the word easy in the whole lecture, and I will never <laughs> use it. <ever. laughs> but also because when we want things to be easy, things become difficult. No. <laughs> yes,
3: yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I like to say, as I put it in my book, you have two ends to of the spectrum. You have easy and you have on the other extreme, what do you have? Difficult. Difficult. No.
4: Impossible.
1: Impossible, thank you so much. <laughs> easy and impossible. What's the middle point? Difficult.
3: Difficult,
1: <laughs> difficult is not the extreme. The Difficult is the exact middle point. We need things to be difficult. I mean, I'm not saying extremely difficult. That's impossible. <laughs> that goes to the impossible set. But difficult enough, so we are challenged and we have to change and improve. Because if everything is easy... We are just conformists and mediocre and everything is boring. And if everything is impossible, we get discouraged because everything is impossible. <laughs> but if everything is difficult, that's the exact middle point we need to continue changing and progressing. say you are raising your hand, sir. This
4: is kind of related to what you were talking about, using technology, wanting to uphold your spiritual tenets while still not... <clears throat> Isolating yourself in a cave. You mentioned earlier that the opposite of something sacred would be desecrated, mm-hmm. not profane, mm-hmm. and that is a, a an on a, a not maybe like an unawareness or an inability to see. Mm. So outside of putting oneself in a cave,
0: mm-hmm.
4: meditation and prayer, of course. How can one discern whether they're seeing, mm-hmm. whether they have sight? Mm
1: how to discern what we are seeing, basically. Well, of course, in our tradition, we resort a lot to to the principle of divine sacred guidance, which is, in other words, we, we have words like guru, or having teachers, having mentors, having guides, having kindred spirits that will share feedback with us in the sense of, Sometimes it's tricky if you only trust your own vision of things. I'm not saying do not trust your own God or so to say, but it's also it's also tricky in the sense that we can become extremely isolated in our own perspective of things, and that's not healthy at all. So it's important for us to receive peer review, so to say, from other people that we appreciate, that we, we can feel they have they have proper vision. You have mentors. I mean, that's, I think, is the principle in every mystical tradition to have elders that you can really see that they see, you know, mm-hmm. that they have a, a mm-hmm. wide range of vision that, that you are not having yet. They have a depth and a breadth that you would like to pursue. So they become natural inspirations and they are very generous and very humble and very like an elder, you not know, like a very inspiring figure that you can take shelter in. Still, you have your own discernment and your own will, it's not that that's over, but it's informed by the maturity and the experience of these uh, pilgrims of, on the sacred path. So I will say that that is a very important, I mean, we have a sacred scripture for sure, holy scripture, we, we receive so much insight and revelation and knowledge from this sacred wisdom, the texts. And for us, we have the, the teachers, the mentors, the advanced companions on the journey, So all that put together apart from our own discernment makes for it, at least for us, a good recipe. And of course, it doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. It's not like, Swami, give me the perfect formula so every time I do something, I will do it perfect. It won't happen like that. We will need to commit a few embarrassing mistakes Mm -hmm. and learn from those. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's also very important. Don't try like to to make everything perfect. There is a place and a value in imperfection, in messiness, in mistake. Not that I'm promoting just make mistakes on purpose either. <laughs> let's not go to either of the extremes, remember. But let's not be afraid about being wrong or committing some mistakes. It's part of the, of the exploration, I would say. No? But at the same time, let's try to secure some, some guidance, basically, some, some, some reference points of people with more experience that we can be nourished from. Um, And through our own experience, we will learn further and further discernment. Sometimes suffering brings a lot of that. I mean, at least I speak for myself my 42 years of life, which is not that much, but I've gone through a few uh, complex chapters, I will say, (laughs) overwhelming, bewildering, the last thing I will have expected in my life happening, and not only once, but a few times. And... For, for some moments, it was bewildering. I, I was not able to discern what to do in this precise moment. But that was part of the teaching. You know? And that's also a little bit connected to, to something that I want to share today. So I will connect that with you, which is the, <clears throat> the, the ability to coexist with uncertainty mm-hmm. and mystery, which is such an important point in, in Christianity, mystical Christianity, in our tradition as well. You not know, like unknowing. Darkness, no, don't get scared by these words, no, like uncertainty, no, uh, inhabiting what's going on outside of the comfort zone where things are not in order as if we are accustomed, but there is some chaos yeah. <laughs> to balance order. Yeah. Because if you have too much order, that becomes oppressive. I mean, too much order ends up being a totally totalitarian regime. Mm-hmm. Dictatorship means too much order. <laughs> so you need some dose of chaos to balance the order mm-hmm. again, not extreme chaos but chaos in that sense no? so, so so it's important that we as spiritual practitioners learn to coexist with with mystery with unknown again in my personal case I've been thrown into those places a few times where I was not able to, to know what I will be doing in my life tomorrow no? yeah. and I'm a person who in his psychology has the tendency to have some Projection, okay, this year, this month, on some level, no? to some order. <laughs> Those who know me will laugh because I'm like that. No? No? So, so suddenly you're put in a situation where you, you have to just by force of circumstance be in the present moment. You're going to think about tomorrow. So that's complex, but you have to learn to coexist with uncertainty. No? I don't know what's going on tomorrow. And it's okay. (laughs) That's not easy, but it's an important process. And and that extends to so many things. For example, to God himself. Sometimes we we want to be too certain about who God is. And we think that having faith in God means that certainty. But actually, faith has to do with lots of uncertainty. (laughs) And being open that God continually, continuously unfolds himself in our lives. Let, let me share one quote from my book that I share from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. He's a Jesuit monk, and this is a beautiful quote. He says, God does not offer himself to us, finite beings, as a thing all complete and ready to be embraced. Yeah. That's only the first
3: line,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so fasten your seat belts. <laughs> For us, he is eternal discovery and eternal growth. The more we think we understand him, the more he reveals himself as otherwise. The more we think we hold him, the further he withdraws, drawing us into the depths of himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful, right? Yeah. So that, that's what, that's again in connection with this idea of mystery, uncertainty. Mm-hmm things are not fully in my control and the tendency we have to want to have things into our control because we have this false paradigm that unless everything is under control we have a problem I, I always remember seeing this picture it was a painting of one buddhist monk sitting on a very peaceful picture a buddhist monk sitting on a rock in the middle of the lake, meditating and it said relax everything is out of control. (laughs) And I chuckled like you did when I read it, because we generally will feel like, relax, everything is under control. Only I will relax when everything is under control. But we are not pretty much not relaxed when we try everything to be under control. The last thing we are is relaxed. (laughs) And that hints to us, that's not how it works. Relax doesn't work like that. (laughs) Probably relaxed works by letting go and accepting everything is out of control, Mm. out of my control, Mm. not out of everyone else's control. There's someone who is the supreme controller. (laughs) But paradoxically, sometimes we want to control the supreme controller. (laughs) We want the supreme controller to act according to our to what we think how he should be behaving and mm-hmm. how he should appear. Mm-hmm. Even when we pray to God, we already figure out how he should respond to my prayer. <laughs> Come on. We are laughing because we, we, we should yeah. be crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know in the depths. No? <laughs> sometimes I joke too, when, I, when I share this with some of my brothers and sisters, but sometimes we pray to God and we beg for him, give me mercy, give me mercy, give me mercy. And he will give mercy. But the point is that when we ask for mercy, we already figure out mercy should come in this particular packaging. But we don't have a clue, generally, what's the mercy we actually need. And God knows. So he will send the mercy we need. So when he sends the mercy we need, we were praying for mercy. He replies, mercy is coming. We don't see that as mercy. We want to run away from that. And we start to pray to God again. God, please give me mercy. Give me mercy to protect me from this. And he will say, but that was my
3: mercy. <laughs>
1: that was my mercy, and, and now you are praying to me to get rid of my mercy. You are praying to further mercy to counteract my previous mercy. How, this is not working, he will say. Like, you have to make sense of prayer, of how prayer works. You know? <laughs> Again, I am mean, being a little bit tragic comic, but, but that's how it works sometimes, you no. Know? <laughs> So all this have to do with this. And you can see I'm not talking to you because oh, I know that you have this problem. No, this is all pervading in every practitioner. It's part of our embarrassing but beautiful struggle. It's beautiful. I mean, yes. God is looking up on us with a kind glance and say, Okay, you are still a mess, but as they say <laughs> here, they say here, God bless this mess, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so anyhow, a few words and just before concluding, and of course we continue. If you have questions, we have still time and we, have, we will open for more questions. But For us, it's very important. I see for mystical Christianity, this idea of, in Christianity, they call it docta ignorantia in Latin, which means learned ignorance. No, We have to learn ignorance. That's a very counterintuitive idea because generally I have to learn knowledge, but I also I have to learn ignorance in the sense I have to learn not knowing, unknowing things. Sometimes in order to know more, you have to unknow. No? We may think, I know God. If you're so sure about that, you have to unknow God. You follow? Unknow means unlearn what you think it is all in all and be willing to rediscover him again. Like Christ will say, you have to be like a child. He, so many times he brings up this childlike Analogy. Yes. When he sees his disciples getting too much into head games, <laughs> he brings a child immediately. The image of the child. You are getting too much into your headquarters. I want to bring you to your heart quarters, <laughs> not the headquarters. He brings a child. A child means wonder, curiosity, astonishment, willing to learn, no filter. A child. He has to cry. He will cry like anything. And when a child is crying, we don't like that too much because that reminds us how masks, how many masks we have. Because we are crying like that same child, but we don't want to show that. Yes. No? So the child comes in it's like a very loud reminder how we are crying. And we want to like, take the child to another room, please, quickly. No? I don't want to be reminded how much I'm hiding my own tears. Yes. <laughs> yes. No? So we have to be, we have lots to learn from, from, from children. It's not like, oh, he's a baby. He cannot teach me anything.
3: Oh, really?
1: You think so? <laughs> Why do you think Jesus brought the idea of the child? Like, I don't know how many times. You can count them in the Bible. Many times, many times. So, so for us, it's very important to remain inhabit in this space where doubts, for example, are okay. It's not that having a doubt is a problem, that everything has to be always in terms of certitude, in fact, in our tradition, a guru or teacher, one of the main roles of the guru is to create doubts in the disciple. But not doubts in the wrong sense of the term, but doubts. In, if you think you knew it all, I will tell present the same thing from another perspective, so you become like, oh, I never thought it like that. Oh, I thought I knew that, and now I realize I don't have a clue about this. So you are put in the teachable moment again. <laughs> so that's the role of the guru. And, and, and sometimes the role of the teacher will be not so much giving answers to everything. Sometimes will be stay with the question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have this question. Stay with the question. No, no, I want the answer to the question. No, no, no. Stay with the question for a while. And eventually the question will reveal the answer itself. Yes. yes. Now learn to coexist with the question. No, no, I want an answer quickly. No, no, I want certitude. Coexist with uncertainty for a while. <laughs> We we generally want closure. Closure. No? Okay, this is it. Okay, figure it out. Figure it out. Figure control. Control. I understand. It's mine. <laughs> but we are we are actually looking for disclosure. The opening of the realm of possibilities, potential. Oh, so many things can happen. That's uncertain. That makes make, make us a little bit nervous. <laughs> disclosure. Mm. But that, that's the essence of life, to remain open to that wonder. In Sanskrit, we have this saying, Sar Chamatkar, which basically means, how to translate it <laughs> the juice of life is astonishment. The essence of reality is astonishment, to remain in that no, constant rediscovery. Again, God is in every atom. I mean, There's there's lots to discover over there. (laughs) To always remain in... In in Buddhism, they have this term, Shoshin. Maybe you have heard Shoshin means (coughs) beginner's mind. So they emphasize that a lot. Shoshin. You always remain with a beginner's mind. You never think, I'm senior now. I've been practicing this for 25 years. I know so much more. No, no. The more you advance, the more of a student you will become because... You realize, I'm getting closer to the infinite. One of my teachers will say that. The closer you get to the infinite, the more you will realize there is no limit to how much progress I can make. <laughs> the more you get closer to the infinite, the more you will be humbled. Because the infinite is infinite. Mm-hmm. Impossibility. Richard Rohr says that. I like that. I quote it in my book. He says, he prays to God and says, you are infinite in being. Which makes me infinite in becoming. (laughs) You are gifting me with an infinite realm of possibilities, Mm -hmm. because you are infinite in being. So I can become infinitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that that should keep us in a very humble place. Mm -hmm. Beginner's mind. Student, my one of my teachers, we are students forever. Mm -hmm. There's no point that you will graduate to a point that you stop being a student. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we are studi- studying the subject matter, which is infinity. <laughs> so when when, will you, when, when, can, when can we finish studying infinity? I mean, that's, that's nonsense. That's an oxymoron. I finished studying infinity. <laughs> that's not infinity. Uh, so unending layers of exploration. So we should be always re- open. I, I'm sure all of you have your experiences of God, of the divine, And I'm not trying here to, of course, like, downplay or cancel that. I'm just trying to say, watch out of thinking that's all that it is. There's nothing else experience. Mm -hmm. I remember St. Augustine, he will say, if you understand it, it is not God. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting thing. If you understand it, if you think, I figured it out, that's not God then. There's something else because God is not something you can grasp between your ears, so to say. We in Sanskrit have the term bhakti," which means love devoid of knowledge. And what I mean by this, I'm, I'm not against knowledge. I love to, to read and write, but knowledge is, when, when you love fully, we fully love God, you are not concerned about knowing God apart from loving God. I mean, the loving will be the knowing. You ultimately knowing someone is loving the person. The most com- the most comprehensive way I can I can know you, is by loving you. I can try to know you technically. What's your name? Your age? Your height? Your weight? You were born here. I know you. But if I love you, then I know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the Bhagavad Gita, which is kind of our Bible, so to say, Krishna is saying the Rajavidya. Raja Guhyam. He's speaking about divine love. And he says, Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam. Raja Vidya means love ki, is the king of knowledge. Love is the king of knowledge. And then he said, Raja Guhyam, love is the king of secrets. Of things that are mysterious. There is nothing more mysterious than love. Uh, because love moves in a very unexpected way also. It's not like something you can anticipate. Our love moves like this, like that, like that. In our <coughs> tradition, they say, a bug, a prim, nashram, love, it? love moves in a crooked way like a snake. No? Snake doesn't move like this. No? It's not predictable, that's the idea. It's like this. Yes. So you cannot expect which will be the next movement. You have to just to be ready to catch it, so to say. <laughs> so if you enter a loving relationship, don't try to make it predictable. That goes against the nature of love. <laughs> And again, this is unsettling because you have to remain. <laughs> at every moment, God will surprise you with a new invitation, with a new step. No, I remember Richard Rowe will describe our relationship with God like dancing tango. I'm from Argentina, so tango comes from Argentina, so I could empathize with that. <laughs> I, mean, I never danced tango, but <laughs> but I'm trying to relate with God, so I'm dancing lots of tango in my own way, and he's shown no, how the one who is leading the dancing will take certain step, and the other person has to allow himself herself yes. to be taken here and there, and it will be unexpected. you don't know which will be the next move in the dancing, but eventually that's that's how reality looks like no? Richard will say Richard will say like. Ultimately, God is a circular dance. In Christianity, they have this Greek term perichoresis, which means circular dance. We have our own circular dance. I won't bore you with that that point, but it's very interesting, the connection. So he will say the dynamics of divinity is like a circular dancing, a constant movement, a constant celebration, Mm -hmm. because dance, ideally, is celebration. Mm It's not like, okay, I have to dance. (laughs) You are so filled, fulfilled, that the fulfillment starts to overflow. Mm -hmm. Overflow, and and you have to dance, you have to celebrate. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Sometimes I I make this point in our tradition. Sometimes people in this world are running and trying to fulfill their needs, but in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Trying to exploit others, to take in a selfish way and... And running here and moving, moving, but not celebrating, dancing, but just running and trying to be fulfilled. They are not fulfilled. Some other people understood that type of running is not satisfactory. So I'll just sit quietly and meditate, like Buddha or some others. Stop the movement. Peace, shanti, in Sanskrit, shanti, shanti. But on top of that, some other people are loving God so passionately and being so fulfilled, there becomes, again, overflow that they cannot just sit peacefully. They need to wake up and start to dance and celebrate. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's the ultimate nature of reality. It's a dance. No, It's an unpredictable movement. It's a tango. (laughs) I don't want to sound too biased to my country saying that. (laughs) So... So it's very important to to be open to this idea of reality being unpredictable, coexisting with the unknown. In the the Bhagavad Gita, I like very much when Krishna starts to describe what the soul is. Do we have five minutes more? Yeah, okay. He starts to say what the soul, what we are as consciousness. And he, of course, he finds... He say, I cannot compare the soul with anything because when you define something, you tend to compare with something else to give a reference. But he starts to say the soul, what the soul is not. So he said, the soul cannot be burned. The soul cannot be killed. The soul cannot be dried by the wind. So he, Krishna starts to speak what the soul is not. And when he reaches the point of saying what the soul is, the only thing he can say, and he repeats that word three times, is Tasharyam. Charyan in Sanskrit means wonderful. So he's like, the soul is not this, the soul, like you, you are not this, you are not, so who I am, positively. And he say, like, wonderful. He say three times, you are wonderful, you are wonderful, you are wonderful. That's the only thing I can say, he says, no? like trying to... to to shed light into who, who we are and the potential of who we are. And sometimes we are may not be able to say too much about who we are, but just saying wonderful three times, that says pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if, if we are some, something that God himself finds difficulty in, in saying what we are because it's so wonderful <laughs> what he must be. Mm-hmm. So again, let's be careful of not just, yeah, God is this, 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 I figured him out. No, Even in one verse in our tradition, it is mentioned that God himself doesn't know his own limits. Why? Because he has no limits. <laughs> so so, so, so he, he, he has no limits. So try to, I, I know you are trying to imagine yeah. that, and, and I've seen a smoke coming now. <laughs> <laughs> if you are unlimited and are in, are in constant expansion and ever unfolding, you can know yourself fully because you are always expanding and knowing so that's a very interesting paradox Mm -hmm. one more quote before concluding from Dietrich Bonhoeffer i don't know if you know him he's a very interesting also christian mystic that i like him a lot he died in a concentration camp during nazi regime but he he wrote a very serious very interesting letters and so on so he says in this connection the following how we fail to understand when we think that the task of theology is to solve the mystery of god to drag it down to the flat ordinary wisdom of human experience and reason its sole office the sole office of theology is to preserve the miracle as miracle to comprehend defend and glorify god's mystery precisely as mystery so we are not here trying to to plunder the mystery so to say now we are trying to preserve the mystery. Yeah, we, are, we know, we like to study, we get knowledge, we advance in our relationship with God, but there is a point which he will remain eternal mystery, and that's okay. <laughs> yes. now, that, that's why I like to define myself as a theistic agnostic. Now? In the sense of ag- agnostic is someone who says, I don't know. So I'm theistic, but I don't know. I, I'm not, it's not that I don't know if I'm theistic. I don't know how what God is fully. So I love God, I serve Him, but I don't know in the sense that I give place for uncertainty. Do you follow my point? In that sense, yes. I'm saying I'm agnostic, yes. not in any other sense. So it's important that we become accustomed to that. Now God, God is always bigger than the boxes we build for God, basically. So we should, we should not waste too much time Protecting the boxes. <laughs> hmm? no? Mr. Eckhart will say that. He will say, God, read me of God. Maybe you heard him saying that. God, read me of God. Like praying to God, read me of God. He meant read, read me of the ideas I have about God, which are not God. One thing is God. One thing is the ideas I may have. No? God is not a concept. He is a person, an infinite person, infinite possibility, infinite mystery. Hmm? So anyhow, some words I wanted to share with you today about these different topics, but a little bit in connection to the importance of appreciating and being nourished from other traditions and also concluding a little bit with, with this idea of, in my book, I made a whole chapter on this topic, divine ignorance, no? the importance of being not knowing, but in a divine way you know, and being okay with that, so. You made some questions, but we have a few minutes in case you have any other question or something you may like to share before, before we conclude. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. No, 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 thank, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. It was 50-50, remember. 50% contribution, your hearing, your comments, your presence. And I, I always say, sometimes I found myself saying some things and I'm like, wow, that was cool.
3: <laughs>
1: but I immediately, I immediately realized it, it was not me. Yeah. No? I mean, it was not in my plan, in my agenda, in my notes. I will surprise them with such a cool statement.
3: <laughs> so that's
1: totally humbling. It's like, I, I'm just one more puppet here. No? like Hopefully. That's, yeah. it. that's the idea. That's the intention. So. We are all trying to be instruments here, so the yeah. divine flows through all of us. Whether it's in a fancy seat, <laughs> every <laughs> seats are very fancy, actually, not only yeah. mine. So. <laughs> so all of us are making together this experience. So I, I'm very grateful also for that. Thank you. Thank, so. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I think there are no further questions. So yeah, does anybody have any
0: a specific questions we can continue dialogue at with the, the food years, Um I really want to express deepest gratitude for the words that you said, and, and we can, I feel that you were an instrument and spoke words of wisdom, and so I really appreciate it. Many times during your talk, you um, touched my heart. Yes. Where it fills you up so much that you expand and expand and expand, you know, the, the love that just comes through.
1: I can witness that now looking at your face.
0: <laughs> it is there. Yeah. And it's, it's infinite. I, I love the mystery. I, when I hear about mm. the mystery, it just <sighs> it fills me so much. It mm. excites me. It's, it's so crazy. But again, I don't want to know because I want to know that there is so much more than what I know. So I don't want to know. I know I don't know. And please feed mm. my soul and my heart. and mm. Let me be this child. And so you bring that out in us. And I really appreciate that. Thank
1: mm. <laughs> you. Thank you. I mean, you are bringing that in me. I mean, I'm not bringing, I mean, it's just like back and forth, so, but I am really moved by your testimony and your words and feel honored to be somehow instrumental in trying to invoke this presence. I remember with Scarlett, we were talking a few months ago with some emails, she was reading The Cloud of Unknowing, and she was like, I'm reading this book, oh, I just read The Cloud of Unknowing a few months ago. So we're like, okay, we are on the same page. And we, have, we are having a, quite a taste for all this. The cloud of unknowing. No? I mean, that's, if you want a book on, on that topic, that's one of those. No? And, and, and it's funny because for us, I was, in my book I also mentioned, I refer to the cloud of unknowing here many times. And one name for Krishna in our tradition is Sham. And Sham means dark cloud. So then you have this principle of the cloud. And it's a dark cloud. And, and and lots of mystery there as well, no. So, anyhow, I, I can be all night drawing parallels <laughs> between <laughs> one tradition, and, and I'm really sur- humble and surprised, no, because I I, I I first of all learned my tradition in detail, although I I, I studied many traditions before joining my tradition, but then I continue learning from other tradition, and mm-hmm. as there are so many p- parallels there, that it's like overwhelming, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, very beautiful you know, how, how, how this approach. And I feel it's so necessary to teach, to emphasize this point of let's be okay with mystery. Let's coexist with uncertainty because the opposite of that is in, in big part the source of most of our headaches, you know, our tendency to control, to know, to have everything fitting in place. That's a great myth. We think when everything fits into place, I'll be happy and relaxed. As I mentioned, no, because never everything will fit into place. <laughs> so to begin with, no. So that, that's that's a very realistic approach. No? I, I remember when I was with Richard Rohr, he told me the opposite of faith, and of course, one is already almost to say the word, and, but I didn't say anything because I knew it was not the word. <laughs> so he told me the opposite of faith is certainty. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, yeah, 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 because faith has this, a lot about coexistence with mystery, mm-hmm. not about certitude, but everything clear, fixed. That's the opposite of faith. Mm-hmm. But so many times we make faith a, a quest for certitude, mm-hmm. yes. uh, and we say, I have faith, I have faith. But actually, we have lots of fear mm-hmm. of going beyond our certitude zone. Mm-hmm. and we want everything to fit very clearly so we don't have to adventure ourselves outside of the comfort mm-hmm. zone but real faith is a journey into that direction yes. Jesus going to the desert and yes. that, that implies this mystical quest, face your demons there, be mm-hmm. tempted for a few times and <laughs> so on mm-hmm. so anyhow, yes, yes. thank you so much okay, for. Great. so
0: in your tradition you have kirtan and um, you offered maybe, is it that's still a possibility for
1: you to um to do some now yeah, yeah of course so we, i will mention a few words in that connection Scarlett is inviting us to share with you one aspect of how we perform our worship which is singing as you have singing in christianity in different ways we also have singing in our tradition in different ways and in sanskrit that's called kirtan and kirtan basically means like celebration as they said before malec celebrating existence. So, so we sing different songs or sometimes different names of God. Uh, so we will do, we brought some instruments and we will sing a little bit with you now. Uh, so we'll invite you to participate as, as comfortable as you may feel. This is not in, in, in any specific way to do so. Uh, yeah, I'll see where I may have to go to the, to the, to the ground because okay. the harmonium here will be a little complicated. So, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I have my mom sending greetings online. <laughs> she's always there, no problem. It's, yeah, it's always funny because she always comments on my, uh, she doesn't understand what I'm saying because she doesn't speak English. Uh, so I can speak a lot about that. Uh, and and, and I, whatever I post, she's always the first to put, I love you. Aww. And I'm a monk, and I'm a son, so I have to clarify quickly. She's my mom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just go to her Facebook profile, and I'm with her in all the pictures. She's my mom. She's, my mom. So she's there showing support. So thanks so much. Uh, so we do kirtan. Kirtan means basically we will be sing, We sing, uh names of God. In this case, I will be sharing with you a particular kirtan, which includes three names of God, to not make it too difficult for you to follow if you want to follow, which are Hare Krishna and Rama, which will be combined combined in certain ways. You will say Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. You will write it there. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So these three words, Hare is a name for God, which means the source of all pleasure we are desperate looking for pleasure in every single corner but sometimes we miss the very source of actual pleasure and actual pleasure has to do with inner pleasure basically, not temporary, external one so Hare a call to to the presence of that principle in God the source of all pleasure I mean, Christianity also, the the name of God is very emphasized how how is it in English? Hallow be thy name hallow Hallow, be thy name name, Mm -hmm. So the name of God is very powerful. In our tradition for us, between God and his name, there is no difference. So when you invoke the name, he becomes present in his name, basically. Tulhare is one name of God uh, representing the source for pleasure. Then we have Krishna, I think I mentioned, it means the all-attractive one. So it speaks about charm and attractiveness and beauty, which is basically what captures our heart the most you pay attention to this world, when, when you are witnessing beauty, you are just like, you are gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are on a capture. So the source of all beauty that even we discover in this world is God. And the name is Krishna in connection to the beauty principle. And Rama means source of unending joy or happiness. Mm-hmm. So again, I will say that all this, I don't think any of you are organizing a movement to cancel beauty, happiness, and pleasure. I hope not. <laughs> so my point is, all of these are universal values. It's not, it doesn't have to do only with my tradition. So it's a way of calling God, and, another, and the spirit of the, of the invocation is also to try to put ourselves as instruments of his service, of his love. Let me be an instrument of your love. St. Francis will pray. Now let me be an instrument of your peace. Now let me be an instrument of your life. Let me be an instrument again. So we all sing with different instruments. These are classical instruments from India. Of course, the kirtan is not limited to these instruments. Instruments are just, if you will, more cultural detail. We can bring any other instruments. Uh, and I will be singing. And if you, how you do journalists, I sing one time this mantra completely. This is a mantra, which means the sound of deliverance or redemption song, so to say. So I will sing it once. And if you want, again, nobody's forced to do anything. It's all totally voluntary. You can then repeat after I sing once. So it's generally basic like a dialogue, a conversation. I'm singing, you are hearing, you are talking, I'm hearing. That's ideally how a conversation should go, right? I mean, there's place for both people to talk <laughs> and we are really listening. Again, if someone prefers to be in silence, to concentrate in the sound, however you feel more comfortable in your participation, please do as, you, as, as it fits you better, too. But the important thing is, try, let's try to open our hearts and minds, even if it may be a different way of worship we quoted it today. It's nice. We always can understand from that place they're worshiping in this particular way. So anyhow, we'll do it for, for a few minutes. So let's try to open ourselves to the experience of sacred sound, sacred invocation, and all together again, trying to do some, some teamwork, basically, in aligning all ourselves, our hearts, as instruments of of divine love. Uh, maybe I have a place here, let's see. So for those connected, we can share with them as well.
3: Let's see,
1: generally this goes in the floor. No? Mm-hmm. In, in, people in India do everything seated on the ground. <laughs> They eat, they play music, they write. So we, there's one key that doesn't work? No, just the one. No, that's not. <laughs> Technical difficulties? <laughs> no, no, it's this one. Yes. <laughs> I won't touch it, but okay. <laughs> Okay, I go here. So this instrument is called harmonium. What Navrasa will playing is mridanga, this is a drum, and what David will be playing will call cartels or some hand cymbals. But the most important instrument comes already from factory, which is your own heart. <laughs> So that's the most, in Indian music even they will say in Indian music there are so many instruments and such a detailed musical department but they will say at the end of the day the most important instrument is your voice because it's the most intrinsic, it's already included in the packaging and how the heart will express in the most direct way. So let's try to connect with that as well.
3: I'm sorry, 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 Krishna, sorry, Krishna, 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 i am sorry i am sorry i am sorry i I'm not
2: Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare,
3: Hare it's Hare it's Hare Rama not, Hare, Hare it's not,
2: Krishna, I did it! I did it! Hare it, Krishna. Had it, Krishna. Krishna. Had Hare, Hare
3: it, Had it, Rama Rama, Had Hare. Hare Krishna, Krishna,
1: Can sing all together? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna,
2: Hare Hare,
3: Hare Rama,
5: Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare Hare. One more time. Hare Krishna, Hare
2: Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare,
5: Hare Rāma, Hare Rāma, Hare Rāma.